Chapter Seventeen of Maggie, A Girl of the Streets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neil Donnelly. Maggie, A Girl of the Streets by Stephen Crane. Chapter Seventeen. Upon a wet evening, several months after the last chapter, two interminable rows of cars pulled by slipping horses jangled along a prominent side street. A dozen cabs with coat-and-shrouded drivers clattered to and fro. Electric lights whirring softly shed a blurred radiance. A flower-dealer, his feet tapping impatiently, his nose and his wares glistening with raindrops, stood behind an array of roses and chrysanthemums. Two or three theatres emptied a crowd upon the storm-swept pavements. Men pulled their hats over their eyebrows and raised their collars to their ears. Women shrugged impatient shoulders in their warm cloaks and stopped to arrange their skirts for a walk through the storm. People, having been comparatively silent for two hours, burst into a roar of conversation, their hearts still kindling from the glowings of the stage. The pavements became tossing seas of umbrellas. Men stepped forth to hail cabs or cars, raising their fingers in varied forms of polite request or imperative demand. An endless procession wended toward elevated stations. An atmosphere of pleasure and prosperity seemed to hang over the throng, born, perhaps, of good clothes and of having just emerged from a place of forgetfulness. In the mingled light and gloom of an adjacent park, a handful of wet wanderers in attitudes of chronic dejection was scattered among the benches. A girl of the painted cohorts of the city went along the street. She threw changing glances at men who passed her, giving smiling invitations to men of rural or untaught pattern, and usually seeming sedately unconscious of the men with a metropolitan seal upon their faces. Crossing glittering avenues, she went into the throng emerging from the places of forgetfulness. She hurried forward through the crowd as if intent upon reaching a distant home, bending forward in her handsome cloak, daintily lifting her skirts and picking for her well-shod feet the drier spots upon the pavements. The restless doors of saloons clashing to and fro disclosed animated rows of men before bars and hurrying barkeepers. A concert hall gave to the street faint sounds of swift, machine-like music, as if a group of phantom musicians were hastening. A tall young man, smoking a cigarette with a sublime air, strolled near the girl. He had on evening dress, a mustache, a chrysanthemum, and a look of ennui, all of which he kept carefully under his eye. Seeing the girl walk on as if such a young man as he was not in existence, he looked back transfixed with interest. He stared glassily for a moment, but gave a slight convulsive start when he discerned that she was neither new, Parisian, nor theatrical. He wheeled about hastily and turned his stare into the air like a sailor with a searchlight. A stout gentleman with pompous and philanthropic whiskers went stolidly by, the broad of his back sneering at the girl. A belated man in business clothes and in haste to catch a car bounced against her shoulder. Hi there, Mary, I beg your pardon. Brace up, old girl. He grasped her arm to steady her, and then was away, running down the middle of the street. 
The girl walked on out of the realm of restaurants and saloons. She passed more glittering avenues and went into darker blocks than those where the crowd traveled. A young man in light overcoat and derby hat received a glance shot keenly from the eyes of the girl. He stopped and looked at her, thrusting his hands in his pockets and making a mocking smile curl his lips. "'Come now, old lady,' he said. "'You don't mean to tell me that you size me up for a farmer?' A laboring man marched along with bundles under his arms. To her remarks he replied, "'It's a fine evening, ain't it?' She smiled squarely into the face of a boy who was hurrying by with his hands buried in his overcoat, his blonde locks bobbing on his youthful temples, and a cheery smile of unconcern upon his lips. He turned his head and smiled back at her, waving his hands. Not this eve, some other eve. A drunken man, reeling in her pathway, began to roar at her. I ain't got no money. Damn bad luck. Ain't got no more money. The girl went into gloomy districts near the river, where the tall factories shut in the street, and only occasional broad beams of light fell across the pavements from saloons. In front of one of these places, from whence came the sound of a violin vigorously scraped, the patter of feet on boards, and the ring of loud laughter, there stood a man with blotched features. "'Ah, there,' said the girl. "'I've got a date,' said the man. Further on in the darkness she met a ragged being with shifting bloodshot eyes and grimy hands. "'What the hell? Think I'm a millionaire?' She went into the blackness of the final block. The shutters of the tall buildings were closed like grim lips. These structures seemed to have eyes that looked over her, beyond her, at other things. Afar off the lights of the avenues glittered as if from an impossible distance. Streetcar bells jingled with a sound of merriment. When almost to the river the girl saw a great figure. On going forward she perceived it to be a huge fat man in torn and greasy garments. His gray hair straggled down over his forehead, his small bleared eyes sparkling from amidst the great rolls of red fat swept eagerly over the girl's upturned face. He laughed, his brown disordered teeth gleaming under a gray grizzled mustache from which beer drops dripped. His whole body gently quivered and shook like that of a dead jellyfish. Chuckling and leering, he followed the girl of the Crimson Legions. At their feet the river appeared a deathly black hue. Some hidden factory sent up a yellow glare that lit for a moment the waters lapping oilily against timbers. The varied sounds of life, made joyous by distance and seeming unapproachableness, came faintly and died away to a silence. End of chapter 17